we at Autism and Color believe in letting people express themselves in the manner that they are most comfortable. We respect their freedom of speech and their voices. The views that our guests express are not always aligned with those of Autism and Color. to Autism in Color. We are your hosts, Siobhan and Lebecki, and today we are interviewing December Daughtry, who has an 11-year-old daughter named Addie, who is on the autism spectrum. <laughs> Welcome, December. Thank you for having me. Addie actually just turned 12 two weeks ago, so she's well, 12 now. She's 12. Yeah. A twin. I can't believe it. <laughs> Doesn't it go fast? Yes. I'm like, I can't believe I have a 12-year-old. Okay. Pre-teen in the house. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yes, definitely. So tell us a little bit about Addie. How old was Addie when she was diagnosed with autism? Uh, she was six, actually. Um, we started the process around five and a half, but getting in with a specialist to do the testing is, uh, takes a long time. Mm -hmm. um, it takes months. Most there's there's limited um, providers that actually do that testing with developmental pediatricians in the area. So I started with a psychologist um, and went from there. I mean, when I went to the psychologist, I told him I thought she either had um, you know Asperger's autism or ADHD or maybe a combination of both because of my background um, and. You know, I felt like I saw a lot of traits of both. And so that's when I uh, took her to the psychologist. And I took her to a psychologist that specialized in um, sensory processing disorders. And he had done some studies with sensory uh, processing and like music therapy and things like that. I had known about him. And so um, I trusted him in his judgment. So, okay. What was she still sees him actually? Oh, that's great. What were some traits that you noticed prior to the diagnosis? Well, I'd say like some of it's hindsight, <laughs> you know, when I first noticed some issues, I, well, when Adelaide was born, she had some developmental issues. So they thought she had trisomy 21 when she mm. was born. Um, they came to me and told me she did. And I adamantly disagreed um, because she was eating normally um, and they didn't take a good history before they told me that. Uh, and it had been about a full 24 hours before they told me. And uh, I didn't, I didn't um, think that she did. So um, not that I was argumentative. I just said, please do the testing and then we can rediscuss this. But I mean, I just don't see the same things you're seeing and you didn't ask me any questions. Mm -hmm. So she had, from the beginning, she had poor tone, like muscle tone. She was a very floppy baby. She did have a poor suck in general. Um, she was a lazy feeder she was also quite thin and um she just she was a little floppy and all her gross motor skills were delayed meaning like her she didn't roll over she didn't sit up she didn't crawl everything was at least two to three months behind and when she would eat she had uh, texture issues like she never ate baby food ever I tried and she gagged and gagged and gagged and I mean, even at four months old, I have a video of her and I gave her some baby food and she said, no, 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 at four months old. 
shaking her head. Babies at four months old don't know how to say no. Right. It was crazy. Good. And we thought it was funny at the time. You know, we were just laughing because she's spitting this stuff out and saying no. And But looking back, I felt really bad because it was probably kind of torturous to her to put that in her mouth. But and she just was horrified by it. She only ate finger foods, I mean, later, and it was all late. So she would take a bottle. Um, but once I weaned her off breastfeeding, I weaned her about 17 or seven months. I got really sick when she was a baby. I got a kidney infection. So none of the medicines I was on, she could have. So I just, I was so sick. I just decided to wean her. Um, so she would not give up that bottle. And once she was, the, the daycare really pushed me, you know, you have to get rid of the bottle you know they push me right. so I get get rid of the bottle that she never took milk again never yeah. I mean she would not drink milk she milk went in a bottle and that was that <laughs> so I... just things like that she just she was very she also the other biggest thing was toilet training so she did not toilet train fully until she was about 10 I would say and we're almost completely nighttime toilet trained. Goes in spurts. She still can't have like, you know, a soda. If she drinks a soda, she's going to wet the bed. I mean, oh, that's wow. just all there is to it. So that was a big thing. I went to the pediatrician when she was four because the daycare basically said, we're not going to move her to a new classroom because she's still not toilet trained. And I'm like, but toilet training is the medical problem. At this point, I was taking her to a urologist you can't keep my child who's very smart and bright and needs more challenging, um, you know, work in with three-year-olds because she can't, she's not toilet trained and she has a medical issue. Right. Um, so I, I fought with the daycares frequently about that stuff. Like that's not okay. You know? So yeah. Good for you. Good for you. You know, being that mom and not just riding with it, but yeah, this is a medical condition. It's not that she's just not doing it. So Ooh, that's how they felt. Yeah. And I felt that way in the beginning too. I thought she is so stubborn and she will not go. And so the pediatrician sent us to the urologist at around four and a half because she could not hold it. She would just, it would be like every 15 minutes. And I remember being at Disney World and just I was crying because we didn't know what was wrong and she didn't want to wear a diaper, but we couldn't stay in any lines of Disney World because she would just pee her pants and we'd have to leave. And then she'd cry because she didn't get to see Tinkerbell or whatever. Mm -hmm. December, in the beginning, you said that she was diagnosed with something that started with a T. Could you tell us what that is? A trisomy? Yes. Oh, a trisomy 21. Down it's Down syndrome. Down syndrome. They didn't diagnose her with it. They were adamant she was like the first day, but three days later, the genetic testing was negative. Mm -hmm. okay. So that's a when you're you know you lack a chrome two chromosomes so right. i know what what down syndrome is but i thought that maybe it was what you were speaking about was a food disorder you know yeah trisomy 21 is down syndrome so okay. they thought she had that so um we clarified that right on because you know they did a heart ultrasound because babies with uh, down syndrome typically have um heart problems too they have palate issues heart problems there's lots of things so they were ruling all the bad stuff right away um mm -hmm. and she didn't have any of that and her genetic testing was negative okay so tell us how was it for you getting the diagnosis of autism at the age of six for very very challenging because the psychologist that had been seeing her for six months was sure she had it but we had to have the formal testing 
the, in the formal testing, we did all the actual testing, like the data showed she had it, but the psychologist that did the testing probably only met her two days and she was on her best behavior because she did a lot of really good masking. Yes. And she acted like a perfect princess for two days. Absolutely. She did none of the behaviors that she did at home. So they were like, well, she doesn't have any stimming behaviors. And I didn't understand what that meant at the time. So, you know, of course she, they were like, does she do this? And I'm like, no, she doesn't do that. But she did have stimming behaviors. I just didn't know, well, no, she does stim. These are her stims. And I'm like, oh yeah, she does that all the time. Because the, the way the psychologist during the interview with me described stimming was not one of Adelaide's stimming behaviors. I didn't understand what she was asking me. So when we went through the final, she called me and said, you know, all the data points to autism, but she can't have autism because she doesn't stim. Really? And yeah, I did not agree. Um, and I said, well, that's, you know, I don't, she doesn't do the things you're saying, but she does other things, you know, so the, actually her general psychologist did not agree with that psychologist. So he basically took the data, all the testing she did and was like, no, she absolutely has autism. She just has a uh, higher functioning. Right. Um, which we had her tested again three years later because the school likes to do the repeat. So a lot of times we had her retested and she actually tested ASD2 the second time. Like absolutely ASD2 because as children get older, the social pressure gets harder. And then a lot of these stuff comes out more. And her stimming was very obvious at that point. So at nine, I think her, her retest was ASD2 because she was so behind on um, executive functioning because she still wasn't toilet trained. She couldn't dress herself. She couldn't, you know, put herself to bed. She couldn't, she had to be, somebody had to be on her all the time to finish complete tasks. She couldn't feed herself all the time. You know, like she could feed herself, but if you didn't put food in front of her and encourage her to eat, she wouldn't eat it. How, how was she with peers? Uh, for a long time, she did a lot of parallel play. So she'd play beside them or direct them. <laughs> <laughs> she's the leader. This is what we're going to do. Huh? She's the leader. Yeah. She's very bossy. The leader. Yes. But it wasn't like, she doesn't think she's being bossy. She just thinks that's, it's more of, I think, an anxiety thing that if she's directing, she can predict what's going to happen next. I think the pair, the, the play is a lot of her, controlling her surroundings so that she doesn't get so anxious so for example in the backyard I'd, I'd invite kids over playing on the teeter-totter and she would yeah. and she they'd be playing in the yard and Adelaide would this is probably maybe like seven eight they'd be playing in the yard and she would they would all be playing on the teeter-totter but she would be playing off by herself and she a lot of times they would walk in the yard she would not ask them she would not speak to them but look at them and then about 20 minutes in she'd walk up to them and say hey, you guys, did you know that butterflies or blah, 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 or this bug or that bug? And she would tell them some facts about bugs. Um, or, hey, guys, let's do this now. And then she would just tell them. But she probably for the longest didn't even know these kids' names, but they would come to our backyard or be in our neighborhood. She couldn't tell me her friends' names. Sometimes at school, she could tell me maybe one or two friends' names. She couldn't tell me her teachers' names. Um, you know, I think she just really struggled with interpersonal relationships in general. How did the kids respond to her? I mean, it, it sounds like they still kept coming. Oh, that's just me. Uh, I have a son too that I, 
he needs friends too so I would just invite him but a lot of that is me just asking the parents can they come over and play you know Adelaide needs friends and I advocated a lot I'd say she's so she has a few good friends that she's known since she was a baby Mm -hmm. and they've been around her her whole life Mm -hmm. and it's so funny because with them it's like she seems neurotypical sometimes the gap got larger as she got older and they started asking why does Adelaide do this and why does Adelaide do that but like the little girls across the street had known her since she, they were only two weeks apart. Mm-hmm. And so t- them together are just like this cute little group of girls and, and they're so cute. But as they've gotten older, they've started to notice her differences, but they love her the way she is. And that's wonderful, but that's not the norm at school. You know, kids mm-hmm. at school are mean and they yeah. just either ignore her or make fun of her. Mm. Has that been throughout? So- like through what grade is she in now she's in six and I would say it comes and goes once she uh we get the school involved and she stands up for herself with the kids that are uncomfortable with who she is (laughs) then it gets better usually because the school the school she's currently at has been really good at addressing it head on Mm -hmm. um the school she was at before uh not so much they just it's just too big and they didn't have the support to do that. Mm-hmm. She couldn't ride the bus. She got bullied very badly on the bus. Wow. So buses are hard anyways. They're very overstimulated. <laughs> they are. There's a lot going on on the buses. Yeah. So with that, we will take a brief pause for the cause. And we will be right back with Autism and Color with LaBecky, Siobhan, and December. Hi, this is your girl Siobhan from Autism and Color, calling all businesses, independent artists, and nonprofits. If you have a product, service, or music that the world absolutely needs to know about, contact Autism and Color. You can reach us at autismandcolorinfo at gmail.com. Again, that's autismandcolorinfo at gmail.com. And you can call us at 704-835-3605. Again, that's 704-835-3605. Call us at Autism in Color because we are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. And with our worldwide audience, we can put your business in the streets. This segment is being brought to you by Let's Talk About It, the Autism Center, serving young adults with ASD ages 17 through 40 and their caregivers since 2018. Check out our website and get to know more about us and find out about our upcoming events. You can find us at letstalkaboutitheautismcenter.org. You can email us at letstalk1922 at gmail.com or you can call us at 704-835-3605. Let's talk about it. The Autism Center and Autism in Color are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Autism in Color with LaBecky, Siobhan, and December. Welcome back, ladies. Hello. Hi. December, in talking to you, you 
tell me that Addie had a fascination with biology. Yes, she does. Explain. Uh, I guess since she was little, she's uh, been very aware of uh, body parts, had questions about organs, how things work, processes, specifically with the human body. It's, it's transitioned more, I'd say, now into animals and plants. Um, but definitely as a younger age, she um, asked me when I was pregnant with my son. I was, she was three and a half because I had him at four, when she was four. And she said, how is the baby going to get out of there? And I was, because I was starting to get quite pregnant. Um, and I said, well, babies come out of the vagina. And she said, oh my, that's going to hurt. Will there be blood? Wow. And I said, yes, there will. And she says, well, I don't want to have that, you know, happen to me. And I said, well, good luck with that, but okay. Um, so, you know, she was very fascinated. And then when I actually did have him, I had a C-section. And so then she said, well, I need to see your surgeries. Let me see your boo-boo. <laughs> she wanted to see my incision very badly. She would wow. not let it go. I had to show her incision. My grandfather had a stroke uh, when he was 86. And she was probably about five or six when it happened. And she'd ask me, why does grandpa talk like a baby? Because um, he was, had expressive aphasia difficulty talking. And would sometimes just laugh because he couldn't get his words out. So I said, well, he's had something called a stroke. It's where... His brain, you know, had a clot. Sometimes it's blood and it makes the brain not, not work properly anymore. And so she said, well, show me um, some sick brains. She actually asked Siri, Siri, show me some sick brains. Mm. <laughs> I had to put, you know, a stop on a Siri because she's looked some interesting stuff up. Um, so I started scrolling through like PET scans or CTs of brains just to show her what a brain looks like. And she, there was some well brains, like normal brains. And then she I scrolled to a brain with a massive stroke. It was like a hemorrhagic stroke. So it looks very different. And she goes, that is a sick brain, you know? And mm -hmm. I'm like, how does she know that? She saw two normal brains and all of a sudden she, you know, sees a sick brain. Um, so I, I guess I knew quite that she's very bright. She's got very good pattern recognition. She tested mm -hmm. very high in that when we did IQ testing. And so she's very musical because that's patterns. Yes. Mm -hmm. And she's yeah. played the violin since she was five. Wow. Yeah, she plays by ear. She can read music, but she doesn't like to, but she can, but she plays by ear. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> got to love it. She can play the piano. She's never had lessons with the piano, but she she, she plays it. Uh, that's a trait that my son has, the playing the piano. I mean, well, playing instruments and music by ear. Like, yeah, it's amazing. And play it. No instructions, yeah, she, no nothing. If you play the She tune, plays stuff on the radio. She hears on the radio. She starts playing pumped up kicks for her brother on her violin because he likes that song. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. I know, I know. So I, the biggest thing that I took away from all the autism uh, seminars and books I read was to hone in on what the child's good at. Yes. And develop that. Yes. And encourage it and try to um, enhance what they're good at instead of trying to make them something they're not. And that's what I tell parents all the time because your kid has a skill and you mm -hmm. have to figure out what it is, mm -hmm. bring it to life. Yeah. And feed it. Yes. yes. Nurture it. Yeah. And I'd say that's hard. It's hard to nurture a child that, with music because that makes you as a parent have to also 
commit. Music lessons are expensive. They are time consuming. They are commitment, and they are. It is very squeaky in the beginning, and it it's a lot. You know? said very squeaky in the beginning. Violin's a very squeaky instrument. Right. In the beginning, it, it's awful. I mean, it's awful. She's beautiful now and for the last several years, but anytime she learns a new song, you have to get through the squeaky part. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about Addie. What are some other things that she likes to do? What is her personality like? Um, she's, I mean, she's very actually outgoing. She's very verbal, but she likes to talk about what she wants to talk about. You know, she has a hard time with the back and forth. That's something we've worked on. I'd say I have the same problem. So it's been a work in progress for me as well. She loves animals. Um, that's probably her biggest thing is animals. She loves, overly loves animals. She's tried to nurture some baby bunnies that had a mother. But mm. <laughs> um, she always find, she's always finding it, baby animals that have been abandoned. I'm like, that's not abandoned. You just took it from its nest. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, she's got a dog. Um, she dresses the dog up all the time. That dog is her best friend. I mean, I think if an animal could be her best friend, that's what she would choose over a person easily. Mm. So um, probably she'll do something with animals if we can hone in the, the boundaries and the lines where animals are not, you know, you can't control their environment and, the, and nature. You know, there's some things are just nature. So she has a hard time understanding that, you know, she got really upset when an animal died, you know, and I think if you work with animals, you have to be okay with animals dying at some point, you know. Does she understand like facial expressions and expressions of sadness, anger? Yes. Yes, that has not ever been, I'd say, as much of a problem for her. I'd say she didn't make eye contact and still struggles, I'd say, to do that regularly. That started around two or three, and her, her grandmother noticed it a lot and would be like, look at my eyes, look at my eyes, you know? Um, but she, we've done, we've done a lot of that with her anyways. In the beginning, we started using face emojis to tell, for her to tell us how she feels. She okay. understands, I think, how other people feel. But she has a hard time telling us how she feels. So can yeah. I ask you a question? When she has a hard time asking you, I mean, expressing how she feels, have you ever asked her to write it down for you? Because we like for, I, I remember Siobhan stating that sometimes it's even hard for us as adults to express how we're feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. She journals. Okay. Um, she does. And she's got notebooks all over the house. We've done a lot with, she does much better with written, written instructions. So she's got, written instructions we've done aba with her for years she's had aba since she was nine eight nine um in the home but uh, we did we didn't do trial type aba we did in our home how to help her us understand her and her to understand us and better communication so that so the tantrums were a communication problem mm-hmm. okay so you found that so you found and that's why i like to tell parents too i like to share that sometimes it's easier for our kids who are on the spectrum to express themselves through writing. Mm-hmm. Verbal language can be hard because they're trying yeah. to understand what, they're trying to process what we're talking about. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. different. Yeah, when she goes, when she throws her tantrums now, which are tantrums, she is not violent anymore, but she'll go up to herself in the room and cry. She will write 
I hate my mother. My mother's mean. She ruins my life. And funny, I mean, I think it's funny, but I would say, oh, Adelaide, good job for writing your feelings out. Because sometimes she leaves it out for me to see because she wants to see what I'll do. Right. And I will just look at it and I'll be like, oh, I'm so proud of you for using your words or on paper and communicating with me how you feel, even though it's mean. Mm-hmm. But I don't say that. I just say, good job for getting your feelings out. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the important part, right? Exactly. I'm like, you say what you want. I'm like, you know, if it's really mean, you don't have to show it to me. You can just write it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I try not to be reactive. She thrives on my reactions. Me particularly. So yes. What, yes. So what, if, what if you started acting like you were upset by it and maybe started crying or something? What would she do? Um, I, I'm, I'm, I cry, I think, when it's appropriate um, now. I think I used to just get upset and then cry, you know, like get mad. Mm-hmm. And then I'd just start crying out of like, you know, just breakdown. Like, like she's urinating in the floor sometimes. I and mean, it was awful. She would throw stuff, break stuff. And I'd be mad. And then I'd cry because I yelled. And it was like this vicious cycle of, I don't know how to help you. Please don't pee in my floor, you know, but then I'd be crying. And she'd be crying and she just, then she'd look at me and she'd be like, oh, mommy, don't cry. Mm-hmm. you know why why are you crying and I'm like because you just made it my floor <laughs> you know <laughs> why didn't you just tell me you're mad or what do you need you know um but that's gotten better I mean even on my part I have to do so much self-work because she's forced me to be patient understanding and, and I mean she's forced me to grow so much <laughs> that's that's and that's important to say that's important to share because it, it, how, you know, imagine how frustrating it must be to, you know, all you want to do is kind of jump in their body and help them and you, you absolutely cannot. So to have all of these things happen right. out of your control for your baby, oh my goodness. Yeah, the work must be incredible. Yeah, I, I was definitely not a perfect parent in the beginning. I yelled too much in the beginning. I, I would get upset I just I I definitely was not it took a lot of work and classes and things like that for me to get to the point where and people in my home to help me navigate that space you know um and that I don't come from a good background in my family everybody yelled that's just how they did it Mm -hmm. so um you know my husband and I we had to he's not a yeller really so we had to like come to a space and do lots of therapy and work on ourselves you know so and how to communicate with her but it's gotten better now she's very loving like I I cried when my uncle passed my uncle passed from COVID last year and Mm -hmm. I just when they called me to say he cried I mean say he died and then he was gonna die we took him off the ventilator uh you know I knew he was gonna die I just crumpled on the floor and cried because that's the normal reaction when somebody dies and she just came to me and sat next to me and held me and I am very blessed that Mm -hmm. she can do that because some kids on the spectrum cannot Yes, that is so true. Oh, she felt your pain. She, she did was, feel it. Yes. Ah, oh, that's so lovely. When you spoke about the beginning stages, was that before the diagnosis or was it after the diagnosis? Like, oh, it was before and after. Like even after, you know, I. it's hard to know when you first get a diagnosis, it's overwhelming. And I did all the things they tell me to do. Get her a psychologist, get her an occupational therapist you know, get her an IEP, which that was just a nightmare to get an IEP. It took three years in a, in a, um, 
you know, getting in the school board involved and getting, going to upper management and whatever, you know, the, the county, it was awful. So, because they, they didn't, they would absolutely denied her an IEP from the beginning, from day one. As soon as I got the diagnosis, I gave them, I asked for an IEP. The first time they did not respond to me ever. So I changed schools. <laughs> I never got a response. I, in writing, requested an IEP, no response. Um, and you only have, I think, a certain amount of time before you can, before they're liable. It's a limited time. Then you got to do it again. Right. And so um, I actually filed a federal complaint because they had denied her so many times by the time that they, she did get it. She's three years behind. Right. And I went to the state, the state got involved and that helped. But by that point, I didn't want the, the state wasn't, I felt like the, it's called the OSR, I believe with the federal I wanted them to implement change because I'm not the only parent that struggled like this. Right. You know, I had the uh, the resources and the drive and the kind of the time, you know, I started working part-time because of Adelaide's needs to do this, to fight for her, but not every parent has that. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted this, the, this, the federal government really to get in there and figure out what's going on to help these school systems. And I don't want them to, you know, make more problems, but I do think they need to reevaluate what's happening there. I would agree 100%. And with that said, we will take another brief pause for the cause, and we will be right back with Autism in Color with LaBecky, Siobhan, and December. Hi, this is LaBecky from Autism in Color. We heard you loud and clear when you asked us about starting a support group. Guess what? We've done just that. The Autism Optimist Support Circle meets every first and third Thursday of the month. Yes, every first and third Thursday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Zoom. If you are interested in being a part of our support group, please send us an email at autismandcolorinfo at gmail.com. Autismandcolorinfo at gmail.com. We want caregivers to have a sense of community because only we know what we know about our child who's on the autism spectrum. This segment is being brought to you by Let's Talk About It, the Autism Center, serving young adults with ASD ages 17 through 40 and their caregivers since 2018. Check out our website and get to know more about us and find out about our upcoming events. You can find us at letstalkaboutittheautismcenter.org. You can email us at letstalk1922 at gmail.com or you can call us at 704-835-3605. Let's talk about it. The Autism Center and Autism in Color are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Autism in Color with LaBecky, Siobhan, and December. As we left and we went to break, December, you were talking, you were telling us a little bit about your experience in the school system in which you live. Could you share with us some pitfalls that 
you experienced in the school system? Uh, yes, the biggest pitfall is they wait till things are really bad before they'll do anything. There is no preventative measures. And children with development, the best thing is prevention and early intervention. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you, you miss developmental stages. And yes. so, um, particularly with speech um, and language development. So with autism, I would say speech was, has been oh, so helpful with Adelaide's ability to, to communicate and us to figure out how she communicates because speech is, her biggest problem with speech is pragmatic language like and understanding herself and others. So we requested speech right away with her IEP and they denied, denied, denied. Well, she can speak. Okay, well, that is not the concern that she could speak. <laughs> um, so, and she doesn't have a stutter. They're just very black and white about it. And that's not the way it works. Autism is a, uh, a language disorder, a communication disorder, you know, and it's a developmental issue. So earlier intervention is the best. So they wait until the child is completely behind until the child cannot cope and third grades when it gets really hard for elementary school children. So I knew it was coming and everybody had warned me it was coming. And that's when all the behaviors at school came out because before Adelaide would hold it together at school as much as she could and then come home and just lose it. And that's common too. Mm -hmm. All the anger, frustration and holding it together would come out at home. Um, and they refused the IEP. So we weren't getting any services. She had a OT consultatively, but I was doing everything outside of there, you know, uh, and they just kept saying she didn't need speech. So once we got those things in place, we had to leave the school system that we were in to get those things in place. And I interviewed six schools to decide what to do for Adelaide, mm -hmm. including schools that are specifically designed for girls that are autistic or kids that are autistic. And they did not have very many girls. They had all boys mostly. There were maybe a few girls. And they actually told me Adelaide was too behavioral, that they did not want her mm. at schools for kids with autism. And I'm like, but she's behavioral because she is overwhelmed and overstimulated and right. not getting the services that she needs. She would not be behavioral if she did. She got what she needed. And she wasn't once we got what she needed. Um, so she's done very well once we got her into the school that she needed to be in. I was very frank with them. It's a charter school in the beginning that luckily the principal was very receptive and had a child of her own that had special needs. And that's why she felt children didn't need to be in a box. And, um, you know, within a couple of weeks of starting school, I had told them she needs a one-to-one -one and the school won't even let me pay for one in the public school system. Um, so they won't let anybody extra in. So this school was willing to let me, you know, navigate, but they provided her a one-to-one -one and pulled her out, got her back on track helped her with her academics, got her speech, got her OT. And then we started gradually phasing back in, you know, things that are like, I wanted her to stay in, um, you know, art with other kids and like lunch so that she didn't want to isolate her. And so actually they allowed our ABA, our BCBA team to come in and do the meetings and make recommendations. And they went by those recommendations, which is what, a, you know, we're paying for a BCBA to help us. And they were very receptive to RBCBA and behavioral therapists on, okay, let's trial this and then let's trial that, you know, um, because we want, we don't want her to be isolated, you know, and so she's done very well. This year has been, with COVID was hard, you know, obviously for everybody, but kids with developmental and problems, oh, I just don't know how they've survived. I'm sure they're very behind, um, but they let us slowly phase back into regular gen ed classes this year. So she's been doing 
um, math, I mean, sorry, we tried her for good stuff for stuff she's good at. So we did science and social studies because she loves science. Yes. And it was a challenge by, by far because the expectations were higher. Um, and they would be like, well, she didn't turn any homework. Well, she didn't know how to do that. That's executive function. You got to tell her how, right? So we worked on those things in organization and she's, she's doing really well. I mean, it was hard at first. They paired her with a kid a neurotypical child that was caring and loving and she's done really well they have got a lunch buddies for her now she's got a little lunch group a social group that was what I requested for speech because her working with an adult is not the same as her talking to a kid absolutely they use different words you know right. sus sus is a new word right right and their words I don't know what they're so saying frequently yeah and yeah, she, absolutely she, right. She doesn't know what she's saying either, but I'm like, okay, they need to pair her with some kids her age. So they right. did that. They've been very receptive. And that's the biggest thing is parents know their kids. Absolutely. You gotta listen to the parents. Absolutely. I, I think that girls are overlooked because some girls who are on the spectrum are so high functioning that or they have so much of level one that they are overlooked as having autism because the diagnosis for autism was based on boys. And so, yes. Girls, yes, and so that's what they're looking for and that's not it. And I think more and more people are learning about and starting to understand girls who are on the spectrum and realizing that autism is no longer based on what boys are experiencing. And I think that's why Addie has had the, the backlash, the, 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 non, the non-understanding of what autism really is and how to identify it. Mm-hmm. You have been advocating for her, you and your husband, advocating and advocating and advocating because that's what you must do. Because it's like, no, you're not going to tell me no when I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think girls tend, what I, what I read was, what I've seen with her is they tend to mask and act a lot. And Adelaide used to mask and act like when she was younger, a Disney princess. That's her thing. Um, Do you know how to, like, in front of a crowd and in front of people, like she did when you went to the doctor? And it's like, the doctor's <laughs> like no, there's nothing wrong with her. Because they know how to do it. They know how to show up in front. But then once that's over, now I'm about to crash. Yeah, she would show up at school as much as she could until she could not anymore. And, you know, she says, Oh, mom, I'm so embarrassed about the things that I did before. It's okay. Because she didn't yeah. Know. And I would say, well, yeah, but you weren't, you weren't being your, yourself. You were overwhelmed. You can't, it's okay. You know, you didn't, if you had control over that, you wouldn't have done it, but you didn't. So it's okay. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll learn how to do that now. Absolutely. So what are some goals that you set for Addie, as well as what are some goals she set for herself? for the future and things and, and, and things to come? Uh, I think Addie's torn because she finds the EC classroom to be a safe space. Um, and, but she knows that she could be more challenged, you know? And she wants to be able to blend in with her peers. So um, she wants to go back to general education classes as much as she can but she wants I think wants to be able to have the option to go back to EC when she feels overwhelmed she needs that safe space 
Yeah. Um, so Adelaide's, you know, biggest goals right now are just to phase back into general education classroom. So the the goals we're working on right now with school are um, Adelaide transitioning back into general education and be able to manage, you know, organizational skills um, and interpersonal relationships. Um, she wants to have friends, but sometimes finds it really challenging um, to connect with other kids her age. She typically connects more with kids about three years younger than her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she finds it challenging, I think, to connect with other kids at her age. So we're just working on find that one or two friend to stick with. Um, and so that's been helpful that she's had the lunch buddies. Uh, so those are our main goals right now to get her back into general education, but still allow her to have that safe space of the EC classroom to go to if she feels overwhelmed, but also not use it as a crutch and an escape. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing right now. I think Adelaide wants to, you know, do that. We include her in all of the, uh, our IEPs. So we tell her like, these are our goals. Do you, are you okay with that? She'll say yes or no. So, uh, but also I think her goals in general for us are just really to continue to take the strengths she has and hone in on those. We recently cut back ABA services and we're thinking about putting them on hold right now in the home because she's doing so well managing her home environment and we just feel like she's the, she's matured and she's worked so hard. So we might stop it for a while and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. so that's, that's, it's good to take the training wheels off too. Yeah. Know? It's hard for me because I'm used to having this amazing woman in my house two to three days a week to help. And I, that's the part. And she is too. So she says, well, Gabby's still going to come over like for special occasions, right? <laughs> I mean, it's funny because she hated Gabby when Gabby first started, you know, because Gabby would help, you know, enforce some of the rules and the tantrums and help with that stuff. And she would say, I hate you, Gabby. Don't come to my house anymore. (laughs) And now she's like, where's Gabby? Gabby hasn't been here. Where's Gabby? (laughs) It's it's because it was Gabby was offering structure and organization and she didn't like that. She really, really liked it, but she wanted to pretend like she did. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Look, okay. That's the thing with kids anyway. They they really relish structure. They they relish in it. But you know, when, when you're trying to get there, it's just hard. But without it, things are crazy and it makes them crazy. So they really want the structure. Yeah, whenever she has a substitute teacher, bad day at school. Bad day. No, no sub. I'm like, y'all gotta warn me when there's a sub so I can warn her there's gonna be a sub. Like, no, there's a sub. You got to tell me <laughs> because otherwise she comes home. I had the worst day ever. This teacher didn't know anything. He didn't know where we were supposed to go. He did it all wrong. <laughs> I because, hate him. <laughs> and it's because of the organization and structure that she's come to learn and know. And uh-huh. I tell parents that all the time when you're changing it, you have to introduce it to your child. You have to introduce it to them in order for them not to have a meltdown. Yeah. It's a must. Yeah, for sure. But we want to thank you for being here today, December. And as I tell all the parents that come on our show, God chose you and he chose you for a reason because he knew that you would advocate and you would do everything you need to do to ensure that your child gets what it is that she needs. And we thank you from Autism and Color for being here. Any final words, Siobhan? Just thank you. You know, it's, it's everybody's perspective is a little different. The stories may be somewhat similar, 
but you know we're all different we have different backgrounds different support systems and all of that so it's but through it all i have to say everybody fights everybody's that fighter that you know and, and that's what becky said that god put you in this place because god knew that you would be that fighter for that baby and you know yeah. so thank you because what you thank end you. up doing is really creating opportunities for other children that come behind you to to benefit from the uh path that you that you've uh made mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I, I think that if you feel like something's not right you know with your kid and you're not hearing what you if you don't agree with the pediatrician you're with and this is just coming even from a medical perspective perspective it's okay to get a second opinion absolutely right it's okay to keep fighting for your kid and things aren't always black and white to doctors either and nurse practitioners and it can take time for things to be apparent to us that are apparent to parents you know but if you feel like you're not being heard I would say that please please get a different opinion or find somebody you feel like is going to hear you Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. We totally agree with you. For the listening audience, because we didn't state it at the beginning, could you tell them what it is that you do for a living? So I'm a family nurse practitioner, and so I'm family practice trained, actually. And so, uh, and I do now, I do hospice and palliative care. So I do a lot of end of life um, care. So it's God been a rough you. couple of years to do that, John. Yeah, God bless, <laughs> God bless you in that field. That field, that field is not easy. Yeah. Yeah. But oh. it's also a blessing because it teaches you perspective. Mm -hmm. And you learn patience through this whole thing too, right? Because a lot Definitely. of us, so have I. And that's, Definitely. That's what it's have about. you now. <laughs> For some people. <laughs> For others, I do not. Yeah, let's be quite clear. <laughs> For my special population, I have all the patients in the world. But for those who think that they know, I have absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, December. Well, you have a good day, ladies. Thank you Daugherty. for what you're doing. And I, I appreciate you asking me. Okay. All right. We appreciate you. We'll let you know when it's, when it's going to air. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.
This is your autism moment on Autism in Color. This has been the Autism Moment on Autism in Color. Hello family, this is your girl Siobhan from Autism in Color. And LaBecky and I wanted to remind you to like Autism in Color, subscribe to Autism in Color, and most importantly, to share Autism in Color. Because we at Autism in Color give families the opportunity to share their unique experiences, their challenges, and their triumphs. We at Autism in Color are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. So don't forget, like, subscribe, and share.